Hey guys, welcome to Recreated. This is a podcast where we share stories. Some of them are ours, some of them are others, but we know that you'll find yourselves in them too. We're dedicated to new life, restoration, and the journey of who we thought we were to who we are continually being recreated to be. And we know that that all hinges on one relationship, our relationship with Jesus Christ. Allow me to introduce you to my podcast family. Well, we're family. Well, yeah, not we're, like blood, we're really more family than family. Maybe. Yes. So there's Keith first. He's across from me. Hello. Keith, here's, here's how we like to describe Keith. He's rooted in facts and faith, and we're almost certain he could win Jeopardy. Mm. No. Well, at least one topic of Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I could, I could win the 100 column. I feel like that's still something. <laughs> that's still better than I would I do. couldn't do any of it. Right. Is, do they do Jeopardy for the 100? <laughs> they should. They should. Yeah, yeah. This is for the 100 level IQ. They, 100 level IQ. <laughs> Here's uh, here's my other favorite thing that um, I'm going to say a lot of things. I'm going to say, you know, I don't know. And then I know that Keith is going to give the facts. So I like to just spurt things off and I can't remember any of the facts. I know what I'm saying is true, but I don't know why it's true. And then Keith is going to say, well, this is why it's true, Melissa. That's one of the great <laughs> things that Keith brings to the table. Wow, here. that's uh, very complimentary. Yes. I appreciate that. No pressure, Keith. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and then and then there's also you know you're the big brother slash dad mm. of the podcast family, yeah, which is I don't know that you're as excited ironic. about that title. Yeah, you'll rain, you'll see that he's going to rein us in. I think. Yeah. Well, he has so far. We'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah. Maybe we'll loosen him up. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> I need I need some of that. Then there's Jamie. I like to say that Jamie's the life of the party. The heart of an artist. Hmm. Does that make you picture him flitting in a field? Twirling? <laughs> I don't know, but he doesn't. He doesn't flit. No. Jamie is the kid brother you wish you had. He brings the crazy to the table, but in all seriousness, as boisterous as Jamie can be, he brings a quiet loyalty and a desire for peace and he's really great at just making people feel like everything's going to be okay to the point where I've told Jamie his problem is he's too nice and not in not in a like wishy-washy way but he's a very likable character and so he constantly has all these people that want to hang out with him and if he would just be a jerk every once in a while at least there'd be a story to tell (laughs) and then maybe so many people wouldn't want to hang out with him I'm trying to be a jerk. Let's That's, work on that during okay. this. Okay. I think we could do that. Oh, wait. We, then, we need to introduce you. Yeah. How do we do that? Do I introduce myself? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Then there's me, Melissa. I am a self-proclaimed feeler of all the feelings. And I've wondered to myself, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and I haven't heard anybody cry on a podcast. Um, and I'm a very empathetic person to the point where if somebody's telling their story, I can cry for the tears that they're not sharing. We'll see where that goes, folks. I'm hoping I can hold it together for these podcasts, but because they're stories and I feel people's stuff, we'll 
it'll be fun. Well, you get to practice today. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I, yeah. I think there will be some tears shed yeah. at some point in this whole thing. And that's okay. Yeah. I also have a tendency for being that overprotective big sister. You could call it mama bear. You could call it, well, we won't call it codependent. That's what we won't call it because I'm a healthier version of myself. Mm. But I love (laughs) to um, speak truth and love and just cheer people on. That's my heart. That's for sure true. Very cool. Mm -hmm. All All right. Now it's time for us to talk about what we're thinking about. Perhaps we could say, what's up? Whatever you want to call it, we're just going to chat about life. Yeah. Life as we know it. There we go. And hasn't it changed? <laughs> yes. Mm. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do have a, a thought. I was wondering how you guys are handling your interactions when you do go in public. Mm. I don't go in public <laughs> at all. Like no store, no nothing. Uh, today will be my first time in two weeks. Are you serious? Yeah, that's impressive. Last, last Saturday. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Except but for really? for our first intro. Yeah. Wow. No, my mom's been going out. Oh, that's right. She so, goes out in the morning, like six o'clock in the morning. So this is the first time I've been outside the house. Wow. I work from home for all the audience. Uh, I have my own design studio, and I just stay in there yeah the world has not stopped moving for me it just is it's like there's been really no transition so you Uh, wouldn't know if he didn't watch the news things maybe i would not know anything (gasps) okay so how do you know what i watch what do you watch what do you listen to i watch a lot of youtube Mm. and Mm. pay attention to their stream and then sometimes i'll go to a news site called um Epic Times. Oh, Epoch? Yeah. Yeah. E P O C H. Yeah. Yeah. Is it called Epic? Yeah. Oh. Epoch. This Epoch. whole time I've been saying Epoch. Well, I don't even know about it, so you're ahead of me. Yeah, yeah Heather gets that paper. Yeah, I, I oh. follow their app. Oh, cool. So that's where I get my news when I feel like listening to it. I I have a serious problem with the hysteria. And I honestly I'm I think I've fallen victim victim to my distrust of Of media of media in general yes so my consumption is limited to people who do podcasts like what we're doing interview Mm -hmm. podcasts and uh, anything to do with design and furniture and craftsman stuff i agree because my theory is you can pick whatever political party you're affiliated with and then watch said news station mm-hmm. and they'll tell you what you want to hear mm-hmm. yeah they might make it sound as nonpartisan mm-hmm. as you know make you believe it but it is usually pushed yeah, one way or the other really no such thing in yeah mainstream except epoch or epic i've yeah i've found that they tend they tend to be a little more i don't know having you know i'm 50 so i've read a lot of news and for my 
you know, last 35 years of life. And I find that you can tell when someone's slanted mm-hmm. by the way they write, ah. what they include, what they don't include, how they use words. And with the Epic Times, I don't pick up as much of that kind of we want you to know what we want you to know mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little more factual, right? It tends towards that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how factual anybody is. Right. Totally. Right. You know, True. Everybody knows only what their perspective gives them. And certainly uh, in this time, this is another right reason I struggle with, with all of it is because I don't trust any of the governments. Mm. Mm. I'm kind of where you are too. And it's funny. It's funny. This is, I'll stop talking on this topic. I, I've i been reading in the Psalms. I'm trying to do a read through the Bible thing based on uh, the Bible Project's one year map. And I've been reading in the Psalms. I'm in like Psalm 17, 18. So I've been 15, 16, 17, 18 this week. And every single one of those, David is praying for God's justice on the nations. Hmm. And I'm, I, I, I hear the spirit saying, don't you know that I am the one in control? I can take, I can throw a hook in the jaw of any, any nation on this planet and turn them and make them do what I want them to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm using them to accomplish a greater goal that no one really understands. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> that works. That works. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I work from home too. But I have to get out of the house at least once a day. <clears throat> really? Well, I walk, but I do walk Riley a lot. We have a puppy, Riley, and I try to walk him four, three or four times a day. But if I don't get out of the house, it drives me nuts. Like, wow! I get I, so like claustrophobic. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get there. <laughs> I really am. To want to get out of the house, or to think to get out of the house. Ah, see, I think it's a total personality thing. You know mm-hmm. how I am with the Enneagram. <laughs> I think the nine, and I think you're a seven. Seven's got to have, they got to have adventure. They got to have something. That's my Katie bear, my mm-hmm. middle daughter. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can do a few days. I actually, I call it my snow white days. Um, so that is the Disney character that I relate to the most. Oh, um, she, I, 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 I'm serious. When it's a gray sky, Melissa sees all blue. You have to. <laughs> like, I wish I had her glasses. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Well, actually my actual vision is, Really, really bad. It's scary, actually. Okay, so blurry blue skies. Yes, <laughs> yes, but they're blue. But so where was I going with that? So with the personalities, I can find myself, like if I have a good solid three days at home where I'm just taking care of my people and making their favorite meals and cleaning like Snow White, <laughs> I'm content. And I think now I would say I get out of the house as far as going to the store once mm-hmm. a week. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's walks or going on a hike stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what I'm finding is within the going to the store, there's the different personality. I see it playing out the different personalities. Like there's the guy that like, I honestly thought the guy at Aldi yesterday thought that if he made eye contact, that's how he was going to get the virus. So he would not make <laughs> oh, eye contact man. with anybody. <laughs> I saw your post. I, I that's was, funny. That was, yeah. 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 And he was, I mean, and bless his heart, he was so concerned about what he was doing that he wasn't paying attention to you're only allowed two meats and you're only allowed two milk. So he mm. got up there with like all this stuff and they turned him away. Yeah. Oh man. Oh. But he was really good about picking what he really wanted. Did they have hand sanitizer there? 
They did not. Mm. Still hard to come by. Still, yeah. still, mm-hmm. S-T-I-H-L. <laughs> Are you secretly planning to build a still in your backyard, Jamie? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So, but where are we all emotionally, like, with all this? So Keith, Keith said many times he's totally at peace, right? You're, you're good. I, I, I think I'm starting to get stir crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good to be out today. I think, I think, well, most, if you're listening to this and you're not in Ohio, the clouds in Ohio can contribute to some of that already. Mm-hmm. So it's been a real blessing lately to have the sun again and. The temperature's getting warmer. I worked outside last weekend awesome. in the yard, which helped a lot. Makes all the difference. I think I'm kind of like you, I, Melissa. I, I can, if I have my interactions with my mom, because mm-hmm. I'm living with my mom right now, that we talk maybe four or five times a day, sit down and have long conversations at dinner and discuss everything that's going on. That's enough relational mm-hmm. uh what would you call interaction mm-hmm. that it satisfies me and then i can go back downstairs and start working again and get i get totally locked in to what i'm doing down there and my whole day can go by and i don't even realize it you're That's, pretty good you're a pretty focused person yeah, i was gonna say focus wow mm-hmm. yeah See, well sometimes to a, to some a, to uh to my own hurt mm-hmm. really i can get lost I can sit on a stool for eight hours without moving. So you're forgetting to eat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't get up if I didn't have to go to the bathroom. That's impressive. I mean, well, that's well, I mean, it it, it, it is in one respect. But on the other hand, as you get older, you can't do that. Yeah. The body just can't handle it. Right. Especially if you're sitting on a stool. Yeah. Well, it's a kind of a go between like that or standing chair. oh gotcha oh do you have a standing desk yeah yeah that's sweet oh so right now another so you can also see the picture listeners we're also sitting in salon chairs so yeah. we are sitting in marigold <laughs> salon which is beautiful beautifully lit 10 yeah. percent off coupon code marigold 10 <laughs> um and we're sitting in salon chairs and this is around amazing. a little table around a little table and that's why it's echoey because this is a big room yeah the sun is shining yes, in Ohio. Lots of yes, sunlight, windows. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, but, great little place to do a little podcast. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. But back back to focus. Yeah. So I'm I'm usually really good at focusing, but like I said, we got a puppy, and I work from home too, like Keith, and I get in the habit of sitting on my couch with my laptop on my lap. And my puppy staring at me for eight hours. Oh, so that would be tough. It is tough. It's really <laughs> tough. And so, yeah, we go on a lot of walks. And um, but anyway, yeah. So I want to know how you're doing emotionally, Jamie. Um, I would say overall well. Um, but like I said last week, there's kind of this cloud of confusion there all the time, like. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you can get caught up in media, right? So all I keep hearing lately is, oh, we're not at the worst and the worst is coming. Yeah, the, no. surge, you know, the surge, which I now hate that word. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, well, great. How many people do I know are going to die? <laughs> and yeah. is it really yeah. going to happen? Like, what does the surge really mean? Or is the media really blowing that up? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, wonder I don't too. I don't I, know. I know. I know. And what does that do to you? Does, do you jump into fear or is it the confusion? 
It's well, it's not. I I don't want to call. I, maybe it is a little bit of fear, um, because one, because you know, I don't want to do much. I don't want to. I don't. I don't know. It is maybe it's confusion. I don't know. I don't know. Huh. You're confused about how you feel, so maybe that would be confusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's hard to it's hard I, it's hard to fathom, right? So yes. they make it sound like, it, like the picture in my head is one of ten people will die, right? Most people that have died from COVID have other symptoms, right? Yeah, had, or or, or yeah, like they say, have, heart problems, or yes. you know, congestive. Heart failure, heart failure, diabetes. Right. There, yes, there are. So it's really like complications of yes. COVID. Yes. Um, and but they make it like you said. They make it sound like the toe tag says died of COVID nineteen. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the toe tag. Well, that's a visual. Yeah. Think think <laughs> about that. Blue sky miracle salon toe tag. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that that's what happens. That we get, you know, bombarded with all this information and so like I keep going back to okay I got to parent myself because what I'm finding what's happening which I find kind of interesting is I am like yesterday we went over to my parents house um, not to go inside and visit but to stand six feet away and um, my girls and I did some sidewalk chalk and as we're yeah some art well done And as we're doing that, I just had like this fleeting thought of just, just dread, uh, mixed with just the realization of how dark and hard it is probably in some parts of the world, maybe even our country. A few years ago, that thought would have paralyzed me. Hmm. And now I can see the growth the sanctification like what the lord's done in me is i can i can make space for that part of myself and and see it as a part of myself that okay that part of myself's really aware and that part of myself can be there i don't have to chase it away but that part doesn't get to control this moment i'm in right now and i get to enjoy with my girls and my parents so i've had a lot of those kind of moments where it's either all good because that's pretty much the land i like to live in or it's really quiet or maybe even really good. And those fleeting thoughts come and it's like, all right, they're allowed to be there. It's really bad in some parts. Mm. And it can be really bad, but that doesn't get to control how I live. Like I keep going back to, am I being sober-minded and informed or am I being obsessed? And it just... What a powerful thought. Yeah. That. Uh, as Americans, I think we tend to fall into the camp of nothing can touch us. Mm, true. And then when hysterical things happen, we become hysterical. Oh, yeah. Instead of realizing that life is difficult from the beginning, mm. and it's not what you walk through, it's how you walk through it. Mm-hmm. What is the, the content of your character, the attitude of your mind as you go through it? Mm-hmm. That's the bigger issue. Can I live today and see things blue sky mm-hmm. instead of dread and fear and worry? I mean, every, there's so much we have to be thankful for in this country. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think, oh, okay, finally, we're going to live like the rest of the world does. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're really not. 
and we're really not. not. I know it's not even close. Or in the the media wants to make it sound like yeah, we still have clean running water. We still and you know how many people I've heard say this is a a blessing in disguise. Like you're spending time with your yeah. I mean, not to take away the fact that people have lost jobs and it's hard. Yes, of course it is, but. With Jesus, you can make it through. Mm-hmm. It, it's all the way you Amen. handle it. Like yes. so, I've been seeing this a lot. God doesn't give you anything more than you can handle. Ugh. Well, you know what? I don't like, agree with that. I don't either. I don't think God gives it to us. Number one, but it's well, all let's, about let's, having. Let's be clear, though. That is in the Bible. What that God gives us? He does not that. tempt you beyond anything you're capable of. Right. It's in, well, Paul wrote that. Okay, so he but doesn't we, tempt. We use it incorrectly. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. 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 Right. See there. Thanks, Dad. See. Yeah. 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 Well <laughs> yeah. said. Well said. So, but the whole point is to me is like, so you're saying you're saying your child's gone. How, how can you handle that? Like God would. The only way you can handle that is through is with Jesus, right? Yes. Right. Absolutely. Right. So I guess I'm I'm trying to make a point here, but I'm not making it very well. Well, I think I think we equate temptation with suffering. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think Paul was trying to say to the church that he was writing to, God is not putting you in a scenario to tempt you. Mm -hmm. And he's not doing that. So you will lose sight of him. He's not, that's not how he operates. He is always refining in the process called life. And life is not easy especially if you believe in Jesus. Mm. It's not. And those that preach that it is are wrong. Mm. It doesn't mean life all of a sudden has this totally different highway of perfection. Mm -hmm. It means now you're walking with one who is beyond the earth that knows how to navigate it. Hmm. And I think, Mm. too, we just we live in a fallen world. Yeah. So a lot of what happens to us is strictly that. I mean, even as painful as it sounds, even somebody getting cancer or I mean, some things are genetics and some things are passed down, you know, from generations and and some things are the factory that you worked in or whatever. There's all these variables. But but when it comes down to it, this side of heaven Life is just hard, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. Amen. So it's like, who are you walking through it with? Right. More than what's happening to you, like you're saying. Right. 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 Yeah. 100%. Well said. Because, I mean, tragedy happens to us all. Yes. Christians and non-believers and non-believers. Right. Like, yes, being a Christian is not a safeguard. But but there's hope. Yeah. Right. As a believer, there's hope. There's a whole other side to this. Yes. Yes. And that's what gets us through it. Right. That's what I, I think the coolest part for me right now is to be able to say to people, and I've never really had a need to say to, a, to this before, all I can offer you is my faith and my hope. I can't offer you any reassurance whatsoever. And I don't know what it is, but I find so much freedom in that. Mm. It doesn't, I, I don't feel weighed down at all. Like if ever you were able to say the Lord is in control, it's now. Because... Yep. We've been, we walk in such denial about what we have control over. Like we never really had control over whether or not there was toilet paper at the grocery store. We never really (laughs) had control over whether or not we got a cold. And Mm. now 
we really see how much control we don't have. And right. I get it. It's freaking people out. But there's freedom in that. Mm. Not in freaking out, but in knowing that there is someone who is in control and he can be trusted. He mm-hmm. is faithful. Mm-hmm. And that's where he has me. It's like, I felt like when this first happened, the Lord was like, so Melissa, honey, go ahead and look back at the rest of your life. Oh, that's right. I've been faithful. So what are yes. you going to do now? Okay, that's your choice. I think, I think that's where the podcast, if you've summarized our goal, that's what we want to, that's really the essence of what we want this to be about is mm-hmm. to hear from people who don't say that as a platitude. Right. They've lived it. And hopefully you, the listener, will be will become a person that it's it's not just an empty theology that you can say with your mouth. Mm-hmm. It's the relationship is becoming real. Mm-hmm. So we're not wrestling so much with the emotions of loss of that control or that mm-hmm. imaginary control, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. What a what a great thought. I think if there's a victory in all of this, mm-hmm. hopefully all of us come out of it or go through it and realize you're right. Just like Melissa was saying, I have nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. If my life is shortened, it's shortened for what reason? I mean, mm-hmm. none of us control the day of our death anyway, so right. why are we scratching to keep it from happening? Right. Right. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to arrive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to fear it. So we've solved all the Earth's problems, I think. Yeah, just so. I mean, yeah. I, I guess we don't we really need a job. podcast, do we? I know. I mean, there you go. <laughs> oh, that was the first and last episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we don't need to do any more. Uh, no. Have a good day. We didn't realize how good we actually were. <laughs> well, we knew how smart Keith was. Well, we did. Um, oh, please. That was the only given. The I'm rest not near as smart variables. as they make me out to be. <laughs> well, he's as handsome as... <laughs> I, would, I would not have... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I have a face for radio. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> We're going to have heads of hair for radio soon. Yeah. Too. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that was a good Yeah, good intro. Piece. So now we can get dig into the story. Yes. I'm so excited. Right, friends, we're back. We have solved a few of the world's problems, and now we will gather around the campfire and hear Keith's story of transformation. We are super excited to hear Keith's story, mm-hmm. and I believe this is the first time he's told it in its entirety. So we get to sit here like a couple of curious cats, sojourners. <laughs> I mean, cats, sojourners. Sojourners is better. Either way. <laughs> While Keith tells us his story. Yeah, I'm super excited. And I'm super excited for this to be hopefully a healing process for you too. Yes. Yeah, this would be this would be interesting <laughs> for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. We I think we figured that if we're gonna have guests tell theirs, we gotta submit ourselves to the process first mm-hmm. and then that way you guys know us and mm-hmm. Well, we can't ask somebody to do something we haven't done, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and notice I'm super excited about Keith telling his and Jamie telling his. Oh, yeah, you put it in order, haven't I, you? I, absolutely. Oh, I not, guess Jamie's next. I'm not I racing guess. to tell mine, Yeah, but we're all going to do it. Yep. Yeah. Cool. All so, right. 
Here we go. Here we go. What what do I start? <laughs> I was born in uh Los Angeles, California. Really? Yeah. Oh. South Bay. Place called Hawthorne. Um my family are go back to that area to the twenties. Mm. So my my grandfather on my dad's side, uh they they were actually from this side of the country initially. Uh, Revolutionary War. Some of them actually got ancestors from Plymouth. So they've been here quite a while. Very cool. Uh, six or seven of them fought in the Revolutionary War and helped establish the country. And then they immigrated across the country. Man, I don't know anything like that about my family. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then they ended up in Southern California. My mom's family, similar, kind of similar story. Um, I don't think they fought in the wars, but uh, ended up in Los Angeles. They met and uh, grew, they they all grew up in um, East LA, San Bernardino Valley, and still a lot of them live there. And um, at, I think, six months or nine months, something like that old, my parents decided they want to move to further southern california and Mm. moved down to san diego out in the hills the eastern hills of san diego up close to the indian reservations for those of you who know eastern san diego Mm. and uh that was what do you what's the right word idyllic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, sounds idyllic and and where do you birth order siblings how's that all work out for you i'm the middle of three brothers and older brother is two years ahead of me and my younger brother is a year and a half behind me close then yeah yeah we were all thick as thieves and um where my my older my dad and his younger sister um, were both believers in a family that grew up. My, my, this is a tough one. You, the beginnings of religion were early. They, my, my grandfather on my dad's side was a brethren, and brethren is kind of associated with um, Mennonite, hmm. uh, Amish, the uh, roots are Mennonite. And so they were kind of a concert, you know, conservative mm-hmm. family, church going, cultural though. Uh, I, I, you'll hear this from me uh, on occasion. I qualify Christians in, in kind of two camps. There's a cultural, religious system, and then there's people that really are serious about Jesus. Hmm. And I think. I think they're across all denominations. I mm-hmm. don't think it's just one denomination that has people like this. I think it's across the board. I've always wondered how I would put that in the words, and that's exactly that's well, well said. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So, um, went to church, and my my dad um, he has a funny story with my mom. Uh, my mom demanded that my dad be saved, hmm. and it offended him. Because he thought he was. Mm. And last year, my father passed away last year. And before he died, like two weeks before he died, he sat down with the whole family, all of us, every all the grandkids and everything. And he told the story. 
And he said that was one of the most difficult times in my life because here is a woman that I'd been writing to and I knew I wanted to marry her. And then she says, I, I'm, I believe in Jesus and you got to believe in Jesus and I'm not sure you do. Mm-hmm. And he had to mull it over and he mm-hmm. finally had a moment within a youth conference and a man presented the gospel and he said, I have never heard the gospel. He'd been going to church his whole life. Wow. wow. And he got saved and that transformed him and then it affected his sister and, and, uh, and his, one of his older brothers, they all became pretty strong followers of Jesus. Well, this brother and sister moved, they both moved to San Diego with their kids. And so it's, uh, my dad and mom and me and my brothers and my aunt and her husband and their four kids. And we live up in the sticks of East San Diego up in these mountain ranges and it's just nothing but woods and dirt and fun for kids. Mm-hmm. And that sounds amazing. We mm-hmm. had, we had a blast for 10 years. So wait, your dad sat you down <clears throat> last year and yeah, and a couple told, of weeks before he died. And just to give you all reassurance or what? no, he just wanted to talk to us. Really? Yeah. We all got together and, oh, that's he and my cool. mom talked for a couple hours and, Wow. We just sat around and listened. It was mm. really fun. Wow. Got it all on video. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was super cool. Awesome. So, you know, the, I think California life that first 10 years was it great memories. You know, we'd go up to family reunions up in, in, in L.A. And L.A. in the mid, early 70s just has really good fuzzy memory you know those good warm sunny day fuzzy memories for me Mm. i can still be driving down the road on any given day and if the sun is right and the air is you know it's a certain temperature in the 70s i i can be right back in california and it just makes me want to fall asleep (laughs) it's really that kind of that warm fuzzy i love that feeling type thing so Mm -hmm. great memory don't have any bad memories from those times at all and then my dad my dad was a aviation fanatic was he was an engineer and he was working for different computer companies back before there were computer companies you know this is he went to school for engineering and got into computer programming in the 50s. So he had he was a, on the cutting edge. He was on the cutting edge when that stuff was really coming up. So so yeah, during Kennedy's moon stuff, he's in his 30s mm-hmm. or in his mid 20s, excuse me. Hmm. And uh, excited about that. He was trying he was a pilot and tried to tried to become a commercial airline pilot, but didn't work out for him and and then when he was working for different companies in the LA area and got laid off. So he was unemployed in the late seventies for a year, something like that. Year, year and a half, couldn't find work. And I don't know the whole story of how my parents came to the conclusion that they wanted to move, but they got offered a job. My dad got offered a job in Kansas. Mm. And you're a teenager at this point? No, I'm nine. Oh, okay. Oh. This is the late seventies. I was mm. born in sixty nine, so mm. we were in in California for ten years. In seventy eight, my dad gets a job with NCR in Wichita, Kansas, because he had worked for NCR in LA and had new people and been unemployed long enough. He said, "You got anything?" And they said, "Yeah, we got something at our our shop in uh, Wichita." And 
you want to move to Wichita. <laughs> so is that culture shock? Oh yeah. Okay. That's oh what I'm yeah. Thinking. My parents, my parents did it because I think they were already wanting out of uh, California. Um, and it's so funny, you know, being this old and looking back on things, it set the standard. It like set the stage for my my own journey because I haven't lived in a place longer than 15 years anywhere mm. in 50 years. So it kind of broke that lockdown. If I think if we had stayed longer, we would have got locked into Southern California. We would never have left. Mm. Still be living there. That's not what God wanted. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I want to add that one th- that one aspect. Uh, my my early relationship with God started in in California in San Diego. I don't remember my age. It was before we moved, so somewhere between probably six and nine. I we my parents sent us to. Christian elementary schools and things like that and the teacher I think was talking about Jesus one day and I'm a quiet kid I don't talk about stuff with people back then and we were driving home and my my memory of getting saved is being in a in my in the station wagon Super cool. Facing the wrong way. I was saved in a station. Well, no, because you also. didn't. Were you really? No yeah. way. Yeah. Oh, this is crazy. crazy. I was too. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> Mine yes. was more a minivan. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So we're driving up the Wildcat Canyon Road on this dirt road, and the sun is going down in the over the mountain because we're driving up, and the sun's going down. And my mom's driving, and I, back then we had no seatbelt laws, and didn't have booster seats. So I'm standing on the back seat and my arms are resting on the front seat, kind of leaning mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching her drive up the road and the sun's there. And I'm saying, I think I, I think I, uh, to myself, I'm just having this thought. I think I believe in you, Jesus. Uh, really? I want to have a relationship with you. Wow. I never told a person. You were like nine? Somewhere in that age. Dude, yeah. I don't think I even could think that way at but that age. listen he could can I? possibly win jeopardy so i feel like it's on the yeah, brand that, yeah well that yeah. doesn't indicate yeah. that i'm intelligent <laughs> just well something i mean deep thoughts something because i you know i got a whole other part of the story that makes me look kind of uh not so highly put together well we wait, all have that wait back to the um seatbelt laws dude i remember traveling <laughs> six people in a minivan or in a car we had a family of six like Laying on the the hump that was over the oh, axle, yes. sleeping on that. People yeah, sleeping yeah, in the back, yeah, yeah, yeah. back um, absolutely windshield or, wh- or uh, whatever it's called. Yeah, dude, it was crazy. You want to hear a crazy story? My mom loves to tell this story. This is <laughs> this is nuts. This is an aside. Two, my dad, my dad and my uncle were off somewhere doing something, and they weren't available this one day. And they had been talking about getting cows. So my my mom is admittedly so i'm not betraying her confidence (laughs) here admittedly has ideas and when she gets an idea she just she don't she's just gonna go do it she's determined she's gonna get it done Mm -hmm. so they've been talking about oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah they're talking about getting cows she sees an ad 
five cows for sale or something like that. <laughs> Just an ad. The men are gone, so she calls my aunt. Hey, these are, we can go, blah, 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 and they make the plan. <laughs> oh my gosh. So well, we're, how are we going to get them? So well, let's call the husband. So they call the husband. Blah, 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 blah. They get this whole thing worked out. They take themselves, two, two women, and I think there were five of us at the time, me and my two brothers and then two of my cousins that had been born already, all under the age of six or something like that, they throw us in the station wagon. Mm. In a station wagon, my Awesome. So you got two women, five kids, in a station wagon. We drive to wherever this farm is. And we get there and say, yeah, we want to buy I the cows. I know, I know where the, this is going. And I the don't farmer, know. And the, and the rancher says, where are we going to put them? Oh, just throw them in the station wagon. <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> really? Yeah, we'll get them there. <laughs> Shut and up. And that is what they did. They threw five two- or three-week-old calves in our station oh wagon with us three ki- with us oh five kids gosh. and two women. You remember it? Oh, absolutely. Like Best it was day ever. Like oh, it was crazy. So, so you got all these mewling little calves <laughs> and they're they're just all curled up in the back and we're sticking our hands in their mouths and <laughs> they're slobbering and sucking on our hands and Oh, that is crazy. Awesome. Crazy. Oh. We were crazy back. The good then. old days. So were these beef cows or milk cows or beef cows? So you ended up just killing them. Yeah, yeah, that's the other <laughs> side of the story. Aww. Yeah, we named them the Peanuts characters. Oh, so at least you Lucy, named them before you Lucy, ate them. Yeah, Lucy, Linus, and Charlie Brown, and Snoopy, and oh. I think one other one. And then, you know, ultimately the day comes, well, it's time to turn them into beef. <laughs> Did you turn them all into beef at once or one at a time? I, well, I'm not sure. So they all knew if what I, I, know. I think if I remember the story, two didn't make it. Oh. They didn't survive initially. The ride? No. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think they survived the first couple of months because of Aww. the accommodations or something like that. Yeah, it? the apartment wasn't big enough. Yeah, exactly. Our shack didn't fit. <laughs> but, but I do apartment. remember two of them getting slaughtered. You know. Were you there? Oh, yeah. Oh. Did we and talk about this last time, shooting cows? Did I talk? Yeah. You yeah, told yeah. us okay. your story. But you told us that Tim fed you the first. Yeah, his father proudly fed me. Yeah, it was Clint because yeah. I named the cow. Yeah, yeah. and he told eyebrows. you, yeah, you're, do you like this? After you're eating Clint. I was done eating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Welcome to the done. family, Melissa, right? Right. right. Yeah, so yeah. You, get, you get the fun experience of getting the cow. You name the cow. They become pets because yeah. at that age, you know, you don't yes. know any better. You're feeding them with the bottle. I got right. those memories. And then oh. now it's time to turn them into beef. <laughs> and you got two, uh. two memories. You got, the you know, the actual slaying of the animal which is brutal and then yeah. the butchering of the animal which is bloody uh, and brutal and you watch the whole thing got all those memories and the, the the worst one i think more than any of that was the next couple of nights because they don't cart off the insides mm. they bury them mm. and they buried them on the property and the coyotes came oh and i don't know if you've ever been around coyotes audience when coyotes find something, they go absolutely bananas. Uh, and if it's a pack, and this sounded like it was a pack of easily 15. Oh, my gosh. That's they, horrific. It's like Silence of the Lambs. It, it <laughs> sounds like 50 completely consumed with fear, screaming bloody murder women. <gasps> really? Yeah. Wow. Just, uh, that's that's my you know my nine year old brain yeah. interpreting what I went through because in the middle of the night it's just it was 
it was enormously loud. It sounded like it was right outside of our window. It probably wasn't. It probably wasn't any of that stuff, but that's my recollection. Sure. I mean, but fair to say you were traumatized, would you say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's a really fun memory. Oh. <laughs> fun memory. Mm. All right. Well, uh, back to the story. Back to the story. <laughs> back to the story. <laughs> yeah, so those are, those are the, we, had, we had good times in California. Mm. And, then we, and then we moved to Kansas. And I, I, you know, love my parents. I, I, they had to do what they had to do. Mm-hmm. No fault of theirs. Mm-hmm. That's just life. And I, like I said, I think ultimately looking back on things, it was the thing that needed to happen for all of us. Because mm. I think it broke some constraints and it certainly freed me up, liberated me, I think ultimately down the road to be free to, to go wherever God called me to go and there's some moments that come in the story where he definitely did tell me to do things and I had no compunction against not doing it because mm-hmm. I didn't have roots. I don't think I've ever been in a place where I put down root. Hmm. And I'm fascinated. So, yeah. So Kansas. Um, did you live on a farm? Yes. Okay. We lived in Andover, Kansas, outside of east of Wichita, and my parents bought 165 acres of farmland. Nice. Oh, nice. That had a farmhouse, farmstead on it. It had probably eight or nine outbuildings on it, and it had been, um, the the owners of it still owned it, and they, the ones that built it, the family that built it still owned it, but they'd stopped living in it, and it had really gone into disrepair and beehives were in it and Mm. um, five acre parcel that the actual homestead was on. The house was built in 1894 or something like that. And my, my dad had built the house we lived in, in California. So really, yeah. Wow. Yeah. My dad's family were all carpenter teachers. So Mm. if you didn't teach, you were a carpenter. If you weren't a carpenter, you were a teacher. And that's still Jesus. They were a lot like Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, just like Jesus. Is that where you got your interest for that? Well, yeah, I think some of it's just blood, right? Uh, DNA there, Mm -hmm. um, natural teacher, natural carpenter Mm -hmm. and architecture and all that stuff just comes naturally. I don't even have to try. Mm. Oh, don't brag. <laughs> well, I don't. I, I'm, I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> you know, some people can talk all day and I marvel at them. <laughs> you know? Everybody has great They're things. Gifts. They're born. That's with. what a gift yeah, is. It's a marvel. Mm-hmm. And it's not bragging. It's just what is. Right. You know, the addition to the Guggenheim, Keith. Yes. Mm. Seinfeld. <laughs> unfamiliar as we with. do this i will probably have seinfeld and, and the office, the office references, references. Okay. and, and, so and i'll be know. able to track with you because my yeah. husband yeah yeah so so people might, out there will might be, be able to catch with the seinfeld but it's been a little while yeah some people will get it some won't most won't well and either you love seinfeld or you don't get it at all there's right. no in between with seinfeld right <laughs> yeah so, so so did you have like a working farm? I'm trying to get a, a visual. Like were you no, like a farmer a, with John Deere tractors? No, not no. A technically working. Okay. Not a, we, weren't, we weren't making our living off that. Okay. My dad was an engineer for NCR. Okay. What's NCR? The National Cash Register. They, uh, back in the day, I don't think, I think, no, they're still around. They do uh, like points of sale, mm. cash registers. and um, Interesting. They produced, they were the ones that developed the... Um, grocery scanner oh. ah. and this may be just 
urban legend in the in the Brooks family, some kind of warped memory in my brain, but I believe my father was a part of that team that did oh, that. Oh, that's but cool. Yeah. I don't know. That's a that's a throw out. I may be right, I may be wrong on that one. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say you're right. Yeah, let's it feels, do it. It feels let's right. Do it. it feels good. Yeah. Okay, yeah. He's important. <laughs> feels right. Yeah. yeah. He invented <laughs> the barcode. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, exactly. cool. Right. Cool. <laughs> Anyway, that was his full-time job. Eventually, he worked for another famous company called uh, Coke Industries. If you've ever heard of the Koch brothers, mm. Charles Koch, mm-hmm. they're famous in the news recently for being conservative uh, firebrands and donators to mm-hmm. all things Republican. Can I can, can I be that person that says you're not talking about Coca-Cola? No, not Coca-Cola. K-O-C-H. Okay. Oil mm. company, uh, global industry, I would not say leader, but certainly... Uh, contributor to the distribution network of oil mm. across the country and globally. And he worked as a uh, computer control room um, analyst, I think, in that regard. He was working with pipelines, con- pipeline control systems and developing software and hardware to manage flow rates and control systems for all that stuff, so... That's how he made his living, but, you know, they were all farm mentality, the Brookses. And mm. so he wanted to live out there. We took They took the house, and they completely restored it uh, to, brand new, to brand new. And um, that was an experience. It took about 15 years to... Wow, fixer-upper. Major... And he did it all himself? Yeah, we we all did. You all helped? Yeah, so or you had very, to. very early age, oh. I was practicing carpentry and from 78 to 1988, 10 years, that house was <laughs> being remodeled. 78, huh? I was one, yeah. just so you know. You were one. You started yeah. remodeling a house when I was one, just yeah. to put... That. I was just born, so... <laughs> we had a We had a windmill... Did you really? Yeah. Uh, like a like it it produced power, or it was just there for fun. No, it produced water. Oh, wow! Yeah, That's you cool. Could, you could pull the lever, and the windmill would start turning. I mean, it's Kansas, so there's no shortage of wind. And when it started turning, the pump would go, and the water would come out. Did your dad build that? No, it was there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So did you guys, I know you said you had some acreage. Did you rent that out to farmers or what did you do with that yes. acreage? Okay. Yeah, they, all but five of it was rented out to local farmers that grew uh, silage, uh, which is feed corn and wheat. Mm. So we got to watch that whole process every year, which is super fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I enjoy Kansas. It, it kind of has its beauty. Some people... I uh, would say it's ugly because it's just flat and there's nothing there. But there's parts of Kansas that are real beautiful. And it's certainly pastoral and the people are kind of a different type of... Um, very similar to my my dad's side of the family in a lot of ways. The Mennonite um, kind of brethren feel. Hmm. There's a lot of Mennonites here in Ohio. Mm-hmm. and Very hardworking and mind their own business and mm-hmm. very conservative. They're not, you know, emotionally disturbed or anything like that. They mm-hmm. just do their, do their life and live their life and honor God and good citizens for the country, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a lot of chaos growing up in Kansas even. 
um, regular kid at school, you know, did average in school with the grades, um, athletics. I wasn't a super athlete or anything. My my older brother was. He he was a great runner and a um, he was a sprinter. Mm, and he really? was really good at soccer. Scott was soccer too, right? Yeah, we all played soccer from our youth. Oh, okay. Um, mm. In California, we started playing soccer. And my older brother, a couple like a year or two ago, said he's a soccer coach now. Oh, okay. He's been a coach for a long, long time, and he watches a lot of film and had gone back and looked at our high school film that my dad did. He said, "If you, if we would have had better coaching." Keith, I think you'd have been playing pro. Really? Wow. Yeah, and I was like, what are you talking about? You're the better player. You scored goals. You did this. You did that. No, there's a mind. I was just going to say, there's you a understood mind. the game. You, you could, I can watch you on the field, and you were, you knew where the ball mm-hmm. was going before it got there. And there's not too many people. You can't teach that. Right. Well, going back on the natural yeah. gifts. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's, a, that's a, you know, I I might go, oh, I missed my chance. I don't think I missed my chance. I think I end up, it, it was just a sign that there was something else there. Mm-hmm. And it I was using it as a tool in that. It just wasn't, if I was supposed to play soccer, I would have been playing soccer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just, I got to college. I played two years of, intramur- not intramural, of what they call club level soccer in college mm-hmm. before the Big 12 had uh, an actual, you know, um, what well, yeah, soccer it? was probably just catching on, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but I think like the year after I I graduated in 1993, they fi- Kansas State, which is where I went to school, they mm-hmm. finally started a Division One program. Mm. Up until then, it had been club ball, which is there's no money coming in, and it's usually managed by the athletes. Mm. You're playing all the schools yeah. that are part of the, mm-hmm. the conference. There's but, just no. Um, Scholarships, no, no scholarships, really no money, official. no. Yeah, nobody's paying for the uniforms. You pay for them yourself. Yeah, There's, yeah. we don't have a, a hired head coach, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And none of the standings matter. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, I got in two years. I put two years in. I just, I was in architecture, and architecture is a brutal program, and there was just no time, mm-hmm. and it didn't hold any kind of weight for me to, you know, push to play. Mm. So. I think it just it just was showing signs that there's there's something going on with me that I just didn't see. Mm-hmm. And my brother saw it. Mm. So I'm I'm thinking during this time in your youth, teenage, early 20s, are are your passions starting to develop emerge? Like uh, what is happen like what are you gravitating towards? What really gets your blood flowing like can you look back now and see anything uh, emerging? Well, yeah, I can see some things. I think fear mm. was grabbing me, honestly, mm. which is going to be a big part of my story. Mm. Um, I don't know where that came from, per se, but I I was a quiet, quiet person, not very given to relationship or sitting down and talking with people and got into some stuff with a friend of mine it wasn't horrific stuff you know mm-hmm. I never drank I didn't get into drugs mm-hmm. I wasn't sleeping around or anything like that we just we get 
to our our little brand of trouble and that was the extent of my capacity mm-hmm. i had a very deep fear of failing my parents oh. mm. okay and it was okay. very very powerful uh to shame them in any way uh, interesting why was that there i don't know i still don't because i don't, I don't think i had really? that and yeah. I was a pastor's kid, so... Yeah, I don't know how I had it. I don't know where it came from, uh, but it certainly... And I don't know if it was... I, I don't think it was right. I don't think it was a good fear. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, a desire to to respect your family and respect your parents and honor them. Mine was... Beyond it, it that. Was, it was something... I don't know the right technical word for it. It, it was some kind of... Uh, psychological disturbance yeah like you didn't want to bring disgrace on your household yeah. kind of some kind of yeah there's like, that and then and what it does to your personality yeah it completely grips you and i was i think i was starting to fight with the idea that i had value mm. um i and this is no disrespect to my two brothers in any way shape or form um my brother my older brother's a type a mm. go get it mm-hmm. and don't matter who's in my way. I'm gonna bowl you down. I'm gonna get what I'm gonna get, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you just he's very clear. And when he's certain about where he's going, you ain't stopping him. Mm-hmm. And then my younger brother, the life of the party, everywhere True he went. Story. <laughs> yeah, you guys know my yeah. brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't compete. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Well, I, I I will say that. I will say it differently. I didn't know how to gain any traction for myself in those in between those Mm -hmm. two personalities so i learned at a young age to accommodate Mm. is this middle child syndrome very much partially that's what Mm. i'm yeah very much so Mm. yes and that accommodation is really what informed the next 30 years of my life Mm. all the way up until the end of 2018 Mm. It was easier for me to accommodate and then fight mm. or to stand and express myself. That was just became easier because it, it, I didn't know how to navigate it relationally. I didn't know how to talk to my brothers and you're bugging me or stand up for myself. Mm. And, you know, no fault of my parents. They didn't know how to. They didn't know what was going on. Right. Because I didn't know how to communicate it. So you didn't have a voice. I said I didn't have a voice. And and I would say I didn't know how I didn't know I needed one. Mm. I didn't know how to get one. I had no real the only thing that I could say that I can look back on that was actually uh, a momentum of any kind of capacity that I would say was I was drawing and my mom noticed it, and this is how I ended up in architecture. I was drawing a lot of kind of like architectural maps of buildings and and developing these crazy like underground 2D structures and mm. stuff like that. And I did a lot of puzzles. I, I spent a lot of time on my own. I I got into model making, built a lot of model airplanes. You know, upwards of thirty or forty, and really? in my wow. room, and I could sit there for hours and hours by myself, just gluing and painting and all that stuff. Huh? That was kind of my how do I how I get away 
find like you, that's your way of processing it at, at that age. Yeah, at my because like you usually don't even know until you're older and you've right. thought about it and like yeah. At that age, how do you know you're you're going through this? How do you know you don't have a voice? You don't know that. You I just don't make it up as you go along. I yeah, don't. You just get your living. You're getting yeah. through life. Yeah. However you can. And you know, as a young young boy, you know, you're starting to kind of notice girls and. Mm-hmm. Um, we were at a Christian school up north of where we lived. It was a Mennonite school and, and had, you know, my first girlfriend in seventh grade and then she broke up with me and then I had another girlfriend and she broke, broke up with me. And Those are usually pretty solid relationships. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, you know, high, yeah. Well, at least for if Melissa. You're, <laughs> if you're quiet and, and you're not, you don't have that confidence, that's starting, that was, that was uh, contributing. Because you didn't have a voice there either. Right. So 17 was a big year, 1997, 1987. I was 17. I, my, I don't know how it happened, but I ended up committing to go on a mission trip to Iceland. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was that was a fun trip. That yeah, it was an amazing, amazing summer that year. But I was in a relationship with a girl, and and really liked her. She liked. I mean, it was a great relationship, but it was phys- It was starting to move physically. Mm. Um, it hadn't arrived any place, but it was going that direction because of insecurities and all this stuff. And my parents and hormones Don't and hormones. hormones. Yeah, we're young. Oh, yeah, those were there. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I go on the trip and what a, we went with teen missions and I'm telling you about the girl cause it was, this is all tied together and I think it helps to establish one thing. Uh, went on this trip and had to go to Florida first for a two week boot camp with all these kids I didn't know. And, and well, in preparation for the trip. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really cool. And they run it like a boot camp. Mm. You, you go in and you're with a team of like 25, 30 people. And you have a, your own campsite of 10, 15 tents and everybody's sharing. And Did, But they didn't yell and shame you like push you would up, at a boot up. camp? Not, not in that way, no. Okay. But the but rules, sort of. the rules oh, are the rules. Mm. And ah. if you broke the rules, it affects the whole team oh. and all kinds of team building things. Okay. And they had an h- obstacle course that was out of this world. Just amazing. Wow. And certain parts of it, parts of it were based on individual performance. And then, but the last two or three stages were all team. And if you didn't get the team done, you didn't get any credits and credits were big. And anyway, intense by the end of two weeks, you know, your people, you're, you're together. And then mm. they send teams all over the world. Wow. There were that's, literally, that's there were like unique. 600 yeah. kids at this thing. What? Yeah. Wow. Teams. Was it good? Was it a good experience? Oh, it was a great experience. Oh, cool. Loved okay. it. Loved yeah. it. Loved it. <laughs> like loved the strictness it. made it sound like. No, it was. Jamie no likey. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. And well, they had kids there that were there by judge order. Oh. Because this group was known for being able to rehab. Whipping people into shape. Yeah. Whipping them into shape. Ah. Some of kids, some of the kids on my team didn't make it. <laughs> okay. So you they had to have handle. a, it was, you had to have the right, the right personality yeah, for yeah, it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we ended I up in Iceland it. and we're in this, we're on the east side of the island, land in Reykjavik and have to travel by oh, bus, Reykjavik. travel by bus for a, almost a whole day down and around the bottom. Cause you can't go through the middle cause it's a gigantic glacier and, uh, end up on the east side of the island for the, for 
I think it was uh, six weeks. We helped work on a school, doing carpentry and painting and all that stuff. And mm. the land was beautiful and the people were amazing. And it was a great trip. But I get this letter from mm. my dad. And my dad's not ex- relationally expressive. He's like me. He's quiet. He th- he's thinking the things that he, he said. He he thinks more than he talks. Pro- mm. Processor kind yeah. of. Well, and he's like Melissa was saying earlier. He's one of those comes from a depression era family mm. and mm-hmm. Mennonite brethren and you work. You mm. you do what you have to do to yeah. live. You, yeah, you're yeah. not sitting around talking about your feelings <laughs> and I married one of those, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> we balance so each other well. So that's just that's yes. just who he was. Tra- Count Dracula yes. and, and, and strawberry uh, shortcake. Strawberry shortcake. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I find, you know, I've been digging through his stuff recently and I found a few of his writings and he's an amazing writer. Awesome. He could write all the things he felt. Ah. Uh. And I, I was I marvel at that a little. He wrote the he wrote me the whole summer. Well, I think oh. that's he like it's these, slow to speak, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like he I, finally had a way to communicate with me and all this stuff starts coming out and he's mm. writing this and writing that and telling me about this and that thing cool. going on with the family. And then I get this one letter and said, Your mom and I have been talking and we're thinking about this relationship that you have and and we're just not we're just not like it, and we think that you need to really consider backing off and you know taking it easy so that you can think about things and hmm. my brain interpret it because I'm a appeaser, I don't like yes. conflict, I don't know how to deal with this. My only solution my what I heard was you need to break up oh, so from Iceland, I write a letter oh. to my girlfriend. Oh. And well, this and this and that, and my parents and this and this and that, and kaboom, she shows up at my parents' house, and mm. there's all this stuff that comes out of it. And what? The story day, isn't that bad, is it? <laughs> every day at this time, oh, Michael's noon? off. At yes, noon? I totally forgot about it. <laughs> Zombie apocalypse, <laughs> baby. Uh, the look on his face. The funny thing is, it was like a it was like a Mayberry episode. So they have this thing in the circle in the spring and in the fall. So all the vendors are out there and mm. so this thing starts going off and the oh, one lady who's in charge of it, she's like they had one job to do. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> literally if you're outside, your hands have to be like over your face mm, like you cannot or over your face, over your ears. You can't Every day? Saturday. No, every Saturday. It's like every in Wadsworth. Saturday. You yeah. hear the one in Wadsworth? Yeah, the guy talking. Yeah. This is. This yeah, is a test. The one in Wadsworth yeah. isn't as alarming. This one, no. I this feel is, this like. This seems like it's like either a tornado or, 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 or a nuclear bomb. Yeah, or it's the end of the world. Either way. <laughs> every Saturday at 12. Yeah. We're, you are going to die. <laughs> the world which, will end at noon on Saturday. We think, just don't know which, which Saturday. <laughs> it's very apropos that you were saying that things got explosive. And yeah. Then, and then we have this beautiful. Symphony. Trumpet letting us know how bad it really is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, you got a letter from your parents, and you wrote her a letter breaking yes. up with her. Yes. Okay. And now that, we do it by text. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. now we do it by text. Yeah, oh that was gosh. before all that. Mess. Yeah. It, this was like a week-long breakup. Ours is instant. Yeah. Yeah, 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 instant, yeah. Painless. Well, this was like a couple months. Oh. But, I mean, how long did the letter take to get to her? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe a week. Right. So this whole time you're and then I didn't. I didn't. Right. She gets it, and he's probably like, "No, I changed my mind." But it's too yeah. Late. Oh, it's too late. Yeah, it's uh, too late, and you don't know anything. And she had gone to. My, I didn't know she had gone to my parents, and mm. 
And then I don't think there was an, enough time to, for them to send me another letter because it was toward the end. So then we go to Scotland for a week, and we're in Edinburgh for that oh. kind of debrief type thing. And then we wow. go home, and and then, you know, it's a six six or seven hour flight from London to New York City, and then I was going to California to meet them for a family reunion. So I go mm-hmm. from London to New York City, New York City to L.A., right into a family reunion, and we're not talking about all the craziness, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And it's not till we get back. And then the you know this starts it started that was the beginning of a very serious like crack mm. in the heart that I don't think that took a long time to process and um, I think I've been that particular relationship and then one that happened after the end of college. Uh, those ones kind of set me on a course in relationship that just, it never has functioned correctly, probably even up to this day. Mm. And, um, so to be clear after the letter, you never spoke again. Pretty much. Yeah. I came back. We didn't, we didn't really talk when I got back. My parents had kind of, you know, cause that's me. My parents mm-hmm. had helped her process her, and then I got back and we talked a little, but the relationship was over in my mind. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any going back. There wasn't sitting and talking about it. There wasn't sitting down and talking to my parents with her about it, say, what did you, and this and that. There wasn't any of that. Mm-hmm. It was just. Do you feel that was the majority of it just you wanting so badly to do right by your parents? Yes. Or was there, so was there any part of your dad's letter where you were like, yeah, he's got a good point? I don't think I thought that through that way. But you, because they, you bottom they line. questioned it. Uh huh. That was enough for me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go do it. And this pattern shows mm-hmm. up consistently. Uh, and that's important to the story. Mm-hmm. It's a very important to the story because when I get to the end of the story, the conclusions that I've come to are that that is a very wrong scenario to have in your life. Mm-hmm where it's great to have people around you that that love you enough to tell you the truth, mm-hmm. but you have to process that and make your own decision. Absolutely. And if you can't, then you shouldn't make a decision at all. Mm. Because I, th- I think a lot of my problem was I was trying so hard to either not offend somebody or make somebody happy mm-hmm. that I never spent any time really examining who I was. Hmm. Now, I get to college. I, I went into architecture, and my my emphasis in college was product and furniture design. I've always been around furniture my whole life. My whole career has been in woodworking of some kind or furniture design, cabinetry, all of that. So I think my my mom and probably my dad was involved in it somehow. Um, they saw that part correctly. I was supposed to go down that road. And um, teaching ultimately would come out in a way that I wasn't expecting. I would never imagined myself to be a teacher, but that eventually came out also. So I was a Brooks all the way through and through. Mm-hmm. Those things, I didn't really wrestle with architecture mentally. I didn't think it was a wrong choice or anything like that. I, It's kind of like today, what I was saying earlier about where I live in my studio now. I just knuckle down and get in and draw and do the classes, do the work, get it done, do the all-nighters. 
and just oh, grind. All nighters, I remember those. Yeah, and you just grind, and you don't have much of a life, and you go home for the holidays, and it's kind of like a regular American kid. And mm-hmm. I think uh, the one thing that there was another thing that happened in Iceland that really was an introduction to something I think that was very powerful in my life that took that was. Well, it's just part of the story. It's a very important part of the story because at the same time, there's something happening in my house that I, that has nothing to do with my family. It was just something I started going through that didn't stop for 10, 15 years. Um, I started seeing... Well, let me tell you about the story in Iceland first. When I was there, there was a, we, they had a comparable youth group in this town that kind of befriended our group and mm. we would do things together. And this youth group came over one night, and we knew who the leader was, and all, you know, the kids are intermingling, and who likes who, and all this stuff, you know, kids. Mm -hmm. Um, There was this girl that came in, and, uh, you know, I was kind of attracted to her. She was beautiful, and this kind of thing. But she comes in this one night, right with the leader of their group. And the two of them walk, I mean, it was like a beeline. They came in the door, walked across the room, and went to the leader of our group. And they're standing there talking, and I'm just watching, because I'm watching the girl. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the, they start looking at me. I'm like, wonder what's going on here. And so I, Peter, the guy that led our group, he said, motioned to me to come over. So I it up and I'm like oh, what did I do I don't know what I'm uh, automatically I, assuming yeah I, I, I did something wrong yeah. I, I looked at her wrong or something like that and that's not what it was I got over there and Peter says well this girl has had a dream about you oh, really now what I didn't know you know I wasn't big on uh, that my girlfriend at the time was in in a Pentecostal church and you know that's completely different than the Mennonites mm-hmm. <laughs> by a large stretch mm-hmm. um I had gone to her church and seen tongues and healings and a lot of different things. And I was just fascinated by it. It wasn't a theological issue to me. It was just interesting to see believers that were totally different. Mm-hmm. And uh, the turned out that the leader of my group was what at that time, like early charismatic, mm-hmm. not totally Pentecostal, but definitely um, someone who believed that the gifts were in operation and, uh, that kind of thing. And so it was n- nothing for him that mm. somebody could have a dream about somebody else. And mm. that was perfectly normal for his uh, view of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And this girl's had a dream about you and she wants to tell you. Mm. So I go, okay. So she tells me this story. I said, I saw you, you were, it, it was a short dream. You were hanging by a, you were grabbing onto the end of a rope and there was nothing left in the in your hand. You had the last handful left in your hand. And you were hanging from this rope in the middle of this giant cavern. Oh. And it was pitch black except for you. And you were, I could tell by the where you were at, you were tired, you were really, really fatigued and you were holding onto this rope. And you were like seconds away from letting go and just giving up. And then over the top of the, the top of the, this cavern became filled with light. And I could see that there was a hole that this rope was coming down through. And this light came up into this, above this cavern in the hole. And you could tell there was somebody of some 
there was some kind of being up there that was filled with light and started to pull that rope up. Mm. And I was like, what do you do with that? I'm 17. I've never had any kind of, you know, crazy spiritual experience. I'm not totally sold out to Jesus or anything like that. I don't, and I'm like, what? That's a pretty amazing picture. Yeah. Well, that's not, that's not the end of it. She said, you, you get pulled up and then I don't see you anymore. But in the dream, as you disappear into the light, I, in my spirit, I knew that you were going to be used by God in a great way. Wow. Now you're 17 from Kansas. <clears throat> yeah. And you don't have any comprehension of yourself. Hmm. What do you do with that? Yeah. I wrote it down. I mean, I went home and I journaled the whole thing and I told, you know, I've got it. I still got the copy of the, the story. Hmm. And it kind of set, it was like that event the trip to Iceland, the thing with my girlfriend, that those all happened. And then I'm going home. I, when I'm at my house, something starts happening to me at night. And I start having what I've come to call waking dreams. Mm. I see things. I'm fully awake. I, I'm seeing the entire room just like it is now, but there's other things here in this room. Mm that I could swear to you are there and I know they're real and they're creatures. Really? Creatures. 17, Mm. 16, 17. I'm having weird waking dreams where I walk, I get up and walk and I think something's happening. That's not really happening at all. And, and it just kind of, I didn't tell anybody. I couldn't, I didn't know how to talk to my parents about (laughs) it. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you do with that? So there's all this crazy stuff happening behind the scenes that I didn't tell anybody about. Mm. Nobody knew. I don't even think some of this, my, my own family probably doesn't know even today. Wow. I feel privileged. I know. Right. So yeah. Cause I mean, what do you do? You, you're I in a conservative. W- I would not have any idea. I mean, seriously, I you're in a con- I'm like, they, 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 <laughs> you know, you, we, we need to get you some help. Well, I was going to say first, let's make sure that you don't have schizophrenia, honey. Yeah. Yeah. Then, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be crazy. Shock, shock right. But brain. you know, some, right. but see, there's some part of me that was, this is, this is too real to me for me to be crazy. This right. I'm not crazy. Right. Yeah. You knew this is, real. this is yeah. something weird. And I did, that's all I knew how to classify yeah. it as weird. Mm. I didn't know yet about spiritual warfare. I didn't know about demons. I didn't know about any of this stuff. Mm. And I didn't know why God would show me. Right. Why, why are you using me to see this? Why do I see it? No one else sees it. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of things I wrestled with. And got mm. through college, and I didn't really see anything. I had one. The, the creature that I would see a lot is, was a spider. Mm. And not just a little spider on the desk giant spider like it was it was very very obvious like it was like there as big as a ceiling fan wow were you petrified of course okay absolutely i'm awake and i'm seeing this in my room and then all of a sudden you kind of like no this this isn't real and then all of a sudden it's a fan like Hmm. what in the world is (laughs) happening and, and you kind of learn how to control it, and you can say, "Yeah, okay, you're you're doing it again, and you're gonna get used to it." it but it happens so much, and you're like, "What kind of 
is my brain broke? <laughs> you know, mm. or am I a superhero? <laughs> or yeah, you know, you, that's you, There's all kinds of it. wild things you think about. Of course, you'd go with yeah. It. But see, my tendency was to kind of lean towards there's something wrong with sure. You. Why mm. wouldn't you think and that? that? And right. that's and because of the relational problems I'd have, I had lots of relationship problems with women. Mm-hmm. And then I tend to be quiet. No one need, really knew how to relate to me a lot. I, I got by because I, I could get in and do the work. Mm. Mm. I could get involved in churches and just work, 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 work. And people loved it. Man, pastors loved it. Man, yeah, come over here and do this. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Mm. Do whatever. Volunteer for everything. Mm. And that's how I kind of got by. Oh, yeah, Keith's the one that gets it done. Go, go ask Keith. He'll get it done. Mm. And that's and I love to... I love to you know, when I got out of college, I didn't, I wasn't a partier. I did architecture. That was my life. Mm-hmm. When I got done with college, I had a professor in college who really liked my furniture stuff. He, he said, he took me aside after graduation in the hall. Everybody had left and I was still there cleaning some stuff out. And he, he saw me and he said, hey, let me talk to you a second. I think you really should move to Colorado. I think mm. your work would really, you, you would do really well up in the mountains. Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. California to Kansas <laughs> to Colorado. Not bad at all. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I was in love with mountain biking back then and then started racing with some friends. Mm. Okay, I'll go out there. I'll go up the mountains. That'd be great. I can ski in the sun, in the winter and I can race in the, in the summer. And What a life. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I did. I moved to Colorado. I didn't get to the mountains though. My cousin was living in Denver and I ended up staying with him and and built a life there and started framing houses and building houses. And wow. Because I couldn't get a job as an architect. I didn't have computer skills and back then. Mm-hmm. And you're like, thanks a lot, professor. Yeah. yeah. Well, back then I was just, Kansas State hadn't yet brought computers into the, to the curriculum. Oh. So. Dude, I was right there on that, on that edge too yeah. when I went to college. Yeah. Yeah. Me, me more so for our, our architecture because mm-hmm. AutoCAD's such a specific software yeah they were just getting it the last year they were starting to build computer desks and we had these mm. little competitions and people used them but i didn't feel like doing that i wanted to design i wanted mm-hmm. to focus on the design skills and then the first thing out of college is you don't have any computer skills no see ya mm. mm-hmm. so then i'm framed. already yeah mm. i got to colorado and ended up framing houses but you know my background, architecture, carpentry, remodeling. I advanced quick. I was superintending, you know, f- 5,000 square foot homes in two years. You know? Wow. You know, we're doing big, big, big homes there. And I raced a little bit and really loved it. And my friends were all there. We all moved to Colorado together and raced and rode. And it was a great time. Mm. But... I was in a relationship. I was still seeing, I was to have sleepwalking events. Uh, you know, my, my spiritual condition was, it was really gray. Mm. I wasn't depressed because I lived in Colorado. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you'd be depressed. But in, in college, I had formed a relation. I had a relationship with a girl in California. I did an internship out there for nine months for school and then that girl broke up with me and then there was this other girl that I had known all through college in at Kansas State and we got together right at the end of my 
my time there and we had a really not so fun relationship it was a little chaotic emotionally which makes perfect sense to me now uh look just looking at myself i know she had a lot of things that she was wrestling with that i didn't know anything about and so you got that turmoil there i'm still don't know who i am i don't know where i'm going I get to Colorado and disappointment of not getting to work in architecture and things were just kind of on the verge of cracking. Mm. Mm. So I get a call from my, my older brother one day and I'm working out, trying to work this relationship out with this girl and she was a musician and moved to Nashville to try and record and make it big, make it big. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had helped her move down there, and we'd gone back and forth and fought a lot. And my older brother called me up and said, "You just your problem is is you just need to you just need to decide what you want to do. And you don't know what you want to do, so I'm going to tell you this is what you need to do. You need to just <laughs> there's a move. theme. You I just see. need to move down there and find out if it's going to work. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. If it does, it does. And then you know you're not." here and she's there and oh. every month you're breaking up because you can't handle the distance mm -hmm. and all this stuff just move do it figure it out or end it and be done with it mm. and you know again the theme mm -hmm. i just okay i'm gonna do that i'm gonna take his advice so sounds I, like a good idea sounds like a good idea yeah yeah i didn't have a relationship with god enough to you know really say lord is this what you want mm -hmm. so I did that. I packed up my stuff and and you've been to all the cool places. I know. Moved to Nashville. This been, was this I've been is in Ohio. <laughs> I moved to Nashville. I was in Nashville for three weeks. Oh, oh. so a little trip. Yeah, yeah. I moved everything. Oh, you're kidding. Everything. I shut down everything in Colorado. Moved everything I owned. Oh. Put it in a. You know, I built this crazy. Beverly Hillbillies contraption on top of my Toyota truck. <laughs> oh my god! And I drove all the way down there. I was living with one of her friends. And did you hear my South, my Southern come out there? My friends. Yes. My friends. Well, you are talking friends. about Nashville, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna guess it didn't go so well. No. Three weeks later, she said, "You can, you need to go home." Ah. <laughs> I really need this kind of man, and you're not, you're not that man. Mm. Now that was all subterfuge because there was other things going on with her. Uh, but needless to say, she said it. And here again, mm -hmm. the same person. Nope, I don't want conflict. I'll just okay. I'll just do whatever you want mm -hmm. me to do. No fight in me. No, you're crazy. I'm not going nowhere. I don't care what you say. Mm -hmm. I'm not that person. None of that. Mm. I moved here. You're gonna give me a shot. You know, mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. I just. Okay. Did you the have an anger start starting to like get in your belly because you'd repressed things for so long or no? I would say yes, it was there. I didn't know what that, f I didn't know how to define it. Okay. It was there. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely there. Okay. Definitely Makes me there. feel better. And I'm mad I, and you. I, I could You're already angry. I'm angry for him yeah. on his behalf. That's yeah. what I do. Go yeah. Ahead. And I, I would say that. I moved back, and I, I think my family kind of knew that was going to happen. Mm. Um, 
So, but there, but it was, a, but there was an ending, right? So your brother was kind of right. Like you, yeah, went out I think, there. yeah, I think he, I think they all knew. They all yeah. knew it wasn't going to work out, and yeah. I was just playing around, and because I didn't know what to, what to do, and yeah. and this would be an easy way to solve that problem. And mm-hmm. yeah, it hurt. It hurt a lot, and I don't think I've ever recovered from it because mm-hmm. I really love that girl. Mm-hmm. St- I think there's still some of that in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody I was willing to move my entire life for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. You don't get over that. Yeah. No. So, you know, I moved back to Colorado and that's when the train came off the tracks. Mm. And that, I think that's, that's crazy. This is crazy. It was April 19th, 1995. Okay. Year before I graduated high school. Yes. Yeah, Do you know what happened that day? <gasps> Columbine. No. Not Columbine. Oklahoma City bombing. Oh. I was literally passing through Oklahoma City when that thing, when that bomb no went off. No way. I was on the outskirts. Really? Wow. Yeah, like 20 miles from downtown when the bomb went off. I was driving north on that highway that Timothy McVeigh is supposed to have been driven on. I was ahead of him. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. That is. Wow. April 19th, 1995. And that next year, I came apart. Yeah, because in the year to the day, everything turned mm. a completely different direction. I went back, and when I was in Denver, I was part of a church. It was a Southern Baptist church, and um, I wasn't, I think the angst of everything that had happened had kind of gripped me. I wanted to change, so I I had heard of a guy that was starting a church in Denver that knew people of the community that I was a part of in Wichita. And there was connections, and I t- talked to them. They talked to me and said, hey, you should go to his church, and he knows this and that and the other thing and these people and that people. I said, okay, that sounds good. And, and they were all young, and they were my age. And so you're like 26. 26. 26 at this point. Yeah, 26. And it was hip and cool. It was downtown Denver, down mm-hmm. in the downtown area. Mm-hmm. And it was a Generation X extravaganza. And we were crazy and trying to do different things with church. And and I was doing, I was leading a drama team. and Interesting. Yeah, I'd taken one class in my last semester of college. I took an acting class. Hmm. And it kind of hooked me. <laughs> so I was writing and directing plays. And that's what, but one thing that happened with this group, though, is we were partying. And I mean, partying like stuff I, I was invited to in college, and I just always said no, because I knew it was going to be drink. This was a, a church group? It's church. This with? is church. Okay. Pastors and pastors and that's leaders. That's how it was back then. <laughs> pastors and leaders and drinking beer and really? smoking cigars and... Okay. And then and then the next morning <laughs> okay. and dancing and having big dances and we would go out and swing dance and <gasps> do I remember swing dancing was so What was the other in? Spanish the Spanish dancing? Salsa? Salsa dancing. <laughs> salsa. Yeah, we go to salsa dancing. I'm trying to wait, I'm trying to picture you swing dancing and salsa dancing like give me okay. I'm yeah. trying to figure it's out glorious. why this was part of the church part of the curriculum. belief system. Ah, exactly. Why was it? I don't know. I I don't know. Still to this day, I don't know. And I think if you want us, you want on the truth. I think that is the thing that God used to cripple me. 
Mm. This was the great, probably the grace focused. Because yeah, they were right? like feeding like, that flesh. Oh, very much, very yeah. much. You feeding have you flesh. have liberty. Yeah. Oh yeah, you have liberty and grace. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And I didn't have a you know I, I went to a Christian school, but I didn't have any theological grounding. Mm. I didn't know really what I believed. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I believed. I didn't mm-hmm. know where I was going. And I was willing to participate, and because I was looking to make friends, and right. I have I have to accommodate you. I was always accommodating, accommodate, accommodate, accommodate. But there was something going wrong in the midst of that, and I was drying up. I, I started to realize I'm dry. I'm angry. I don't know why I'm angry. I do. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you, all you touchy feely people, you know how to figure that out. I didn't. I, I, I had no connection. You know, but I, you know, I started to wrestle with uh, road rage really bad. Really, like legit road rage. Like Keith, legit. I'm just seeing a side of you. You're dancing legit. salsa. You're road raging. I don't even know you right now. Uh, yeah, legit road rage. Uh, to the point where I could have, a couple times, gotten myself killed. Mm. Or killed someone, enjoyed it, and then felt bad? No, 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 oh, not that okay. way. Get so mad at people that they're willing to attack me because I'm being so nuts. Yeah. Flicking them off. And more than more them, than that. Cutting I mean, them off. Yeah, just driving totally wow. insane. So you, so and there was one time it happened, the early ons in that it happened, I, I actually pulled off the road, off this interchange, and drove down to the bottom of this interchange, and I sat there and I said, what is wrong with you? Mm. So road rage to me is a sign of a bigger sign, a bigger of problem, anger, right? Inner so like, turmoil. so yeah. so that to me is yeah, it's just There's, anger. It's, it's coming out at yeah. the at the seams. It yeah. can't be contained anymore. So, yeah. so I, you know, I went through this year, and there it was, it was going to this church, and there was all this crazy stuff. But there was this guy there that saw me, saw me. He didn't hmm. just like, oh yeah, he's a cool guy. He saw something that was going on. And he, he started to befriend me. Hmm. And uh, he he and I would go out to these restaurants late at night and sit from like 10 to 1 o'clock in the morning and talk. And he was married, for crying out loud. He was married, mm-hmm. and he did this with me. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, I've noticed yeah, you're, you're struggling. Mm-hmm. You may not be telling anybody else, but I see it. And here's why I see it. And he told me his story, and just crazy abuse. Mm. all kinds of stuff he had to go through for counseling and recovery and and um kind of took me un- under his wing mm. i ended up living with him and his wife in their basement for two years mm. um but i think if i think that was god's initial reaching mm-hmm. to to kind of start to turn me and um in the midst of those conversations in the fall of 1995, so I've been back about six months. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to get really frustrated with this church. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to this guy. I'm on stage one Sunday morning. We'd had a big party the night before, and my my internal uh, compass is just struggling with the sitting and I'm doing a play. Mm-hmm. I'm on stage acting out driving in a car and a girl's sitting right next to me and we're a couple and we're talking about whatever and it's supposed to help the the sermon and all that and and uh in the middle of this thing and i swear to you this happened you can call me crazy you can say it's impossible but it happened uh for the span of about a minute or two 
every single person in time. The only the way I know, the only way I know to describe it is time stood still. Mm-hmm. Every single person, including myself, was perfectly still, frozen in time. For a, for at least two minutes. And I was sitting there looking around. I, I somehow I could move my head and I could look at the girl to my right, and I'm looking at the leaders and I'm looking at the people, and I'm just sitting there, and all this anger is starting to flow, and I'm just the frustration in me is just, I'm looking at them, I'm looking at my own self, and then we are just a load of hypocrites, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of us. Wow. Why am I sitting here? This is a waste of my time to be sitting here proclaiming that I know Jesus. And I know what I did last night, and I know what we all did last night. This is a sham. Mm. Wow. Now, I'm sitting in this old-style building, old, one of those old schools where the, the cafeteria is the gym, is the stage, mm. the theater, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, those yep. old multi-use buildings. They had a stage uh, uh, balcony in the back. Mm-hmm. And in the back of the balcony, there was these stained glass windows for some reason. Mm. And... uh I'm on stage and I'm looking up in the sun and looking south. So the sun's coming through these windows and I'm looking up there and there's little light beams coming in. I'm like, oh man, this is crazy. <laughs> and to be clear, you had no mushrooms. No, right, no right. drugs. Okay. I'm perfectly so uh, sober because I, I wasn't a big drinker. I uh-huh. never have been. Uh, perfectly within my senses and I'm angry and I'm I'm looking at that thing, and and that was God in my mm-hmm. reference. I'm looking at Him, and I, I'm kind of without moving because I couldn't move. I'm shaking my finger at Him, and I'm saying, "You are going to show me that there's more to all this Christianity stuff," which mm-hmm. is how I said it. Uh, or I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go party. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to come here anymore because this is a waste mm-hmm. of my time. I'm finished with it. Show me there's more to being a Christian than just going to church on Sunday and acting this way. Mm-hmm. I'm finished with it. Mm-hmm. And literally, two seconds later, we went right back to doing what we were doing. The service ended. Everybody was happy. I don't even think I thought about it again. Really? Yeah. It was like it was like this little microcosm of something, but God heard it. Mm. Yeah, he did. He heard it. And I think he had already heard it. He, you know, he wasn't surprised because this friend of mine, he knows some people who know some people who know some people. And this is where the story really started to turn for me. I, uh, six months later, April 19th, 1996, same exact day to the year. Mm. I, he connected me with some people that live south of, Col- of Denver in a place called Monument. And they had a house that they let young people come in and kind of hang out at and get rest from the city. So I was going to go down there for a weekend just to get away and kind of get my head straight and try and find some stuff. I mean, as soon as I left to go down there, fri- it was a Friday, April 19th. Remember the day like it was yesterday? Get in my car and I have this massive road rage event. Almost, <laughs> I'm literally, there was two, two, two ranchers, big ranchers, in a giant truck who were not happy oh my with goodness. me at all. And I didn't do anything to them. It was just the way I was driving. And I was in the right lane, and they pulled up next to me, and both of them are looking out the window and waving their hands and say, you pull over right now. <gasps> and I was like, I am dead. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I sl- immediately, it, all that that 
air came out of the tire and I just, I slowed down 55 and I minded my own business and I just got to my destination and I was shaking when I got there and it's like, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? Where am I? I was just like overwhelmed with the scenario I was in. I'm, I'm in a hell. I don't know these people. I've never met them in my life. What am I doing here? Oh my God. I just almost got myself killed because I'm stupid. <laughs> and I, I get out of the car and I go, I have my little bag and I, sh- I knock on the door and there's this old couple. They're in their 70s and they've got coats on and they've got bags in their hand. And I'm looking at them and looking at me. Oh, yeah, you're, yeah. Go on, go ahead, Dan. There's some food on the table. Your bedroom's upstairs. We're going down to Colorado Springs to go to a Bible study. And I, I, I guess I just looked like, what? <laughs> and because the woman says, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Is that a little weird for you? Uh, um, uh, you want to come with us? And I was like, you know, there's like this thing in the back of my mind. Well, I'm, I'm here because I need to figure out how to hear God. So maybe, mm. maybe that's what he planned. Mm. So I said, yeah, why not? So I put my stuff down and got in their car and we drove to Colorado Springs and they went to this little church out in the sticks of Colorado Springs and we sat in this little church and there was this man there teaching and he had 15 people sitting in a circle and he literally taught for two hours. Wow. And must have covered 50 scripture verses in that two hours, exposit teaching and developed all this thought and I was just I'd never heard anybody ever this is back when people had attention spans <laughs> yeah before phones yes and literally I was I was blown away my the pastor of the church I was going to barely mentioned the Bible in his sermons and I'd been in that for a year and then who knows what else before that I didn't know really where I'm going I'm, I guess for the, for the first time in my life I'm paying attention mm-hmm. it's probably more what it was and here's a guy who's got something to say that's beyond just the normal 20-minute sermon. And he's saying something dramatic, and it's the Bible, and it's connecting. And I'm like, wow, I've never heard this before. And I just sat there for two hours straight and didn't move a muscle. I was blown away, mm. blown away by it. What I didn't know at the time is the people I was there with had made arrangements to have dinner with him, the teacher. Mm. and. So sat down with this guy and his wife and spent two or three more hours talking to him. I didn't know before that they had made arrangements for this guy to come and his wife to come to lunch the next day. Mm. So he's there at their house for eight hours. What? He comes in the house. The first thing he says to me is, you're really far away from God, aren't you? Now, this this is where it's crazy because in hindsight now, I don't know what to do with that. I mean, at the time... It was true. It was absolutely true. Um, This relationship with this man lasted 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And it single-handedly, or, you know, it was kind of a dualistic thing. On the one side, no person has done more to help me find out who I am. At the same time, no no person has done more to destroy me. Mm. And um, I'm not even going to mention his name at this point because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a Jewish believer, and the Messianic community was starting to grow, mm-hmm. and 
gain more traction in the in the culture and Jewish people were starting to come to the Messiah on a large level and they were struggling to find their their place inside the church so they were making their own and perfectly reasonable and I don't have a problem with it at all but one of the great things out of out of that was he was he was an amazing teacher and he was developing some very very powerful connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm. He was able to connect it in such a way that made sense to my architectural mind. And um, the Bible is, uh, to me, in the last 20 years of learning it, uh, much more than a theology. I mm. think theology does the Bible disservice sometimes. It it uh, thins it out and, and gives it no room for the complexities of what it really is because um, God is complex. The, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is very complex and he's not easily understood and the, the very word theology is how to understand God. Mm. And I think it's a kind of an arrogant thing sometimes to pigeonhole him into a specific theology. I think he's much more complex than we give him credit for. And the Bible is the only book I believe that really explains him the best. All the others are just attempts, mm-hmm. a man's opinions. opinions. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it's funny though. The last time I saw this man two years ago, I told him one day the people that you've influenced are going to tell a crazy story mm. and it's going to at one, at one, on one hand, it's not going to look good for you. And on the other hand, it's going to be a revelation of your real capacity if you were, if you could see yourself for who you really are. Mm. And if there's one thing that you all hear, if the story ended right now for me, if I stopped talking, that would be my most important thing is who we really are. Because what we try to be is not who we really are. And you have to get rid of a lot of layers to really find yourself. And I think the story is that very process. Within three years, I was living at that at that time. I'm a mess. I'm working in Denver. Um, I was working for a builder in South Denver and... We had a really amazing uh, staircase provider, and this guy pulled me away from that job to go help them build custom curved staircases, which kind of facilitated my woodworker. Mm. I got to go up to the mountains and build these really amazing, amazing, amazing staircases up in Vale and Beaver Creek and just amazing stuff. And But that lasted like six months. I was... Hear the motorcycle right outside oh, the yeah. window with the stereo blasting. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, um, the guy that was running that was a tax evader, and he was a mess. <laughs> and the company that, that we were both working for found out and created all this problem, and I got fired just by association. Oh. So now I have no job. I'm living in Denver crazy things going on that don't matter the story too much i end up moving to colorado springs and living with this man and his family he's got two two sons and a wife and a nice size house and he already had two men 
sort of my age living with them to help pay the bills and and they were a house church and house churches always get kind of the the weird factor anyway and he was Jewish, which gave him another strike. And was he Jewish yes, himself? Yes, okay, he was so Jewish. He was grew Jewish. up in Brooklyn, New York, and okay. got saved rather dramatically in um, Pentecostal background, but then got into a grace-oriented uh, Bible school. In, uh, in incredible mind. Mm. And I hope you hear me when I tell you this, when, when I'm saying this story. This man, I have never heard a teacher like him. He is an incredible teacher. I still maintain that to this day. Mm. Were there things wrong with his teaching? It, it, yeah, no doubt. But um, for the basics, for all, and even some of the more complex things, never heard somebody that can teach it like him. Mm. He was astounding. He had, a, he had a natural gift from God in that area, and he did a great job. He, he taught us well, uh, the group uh, that, I, that we were a part of. Um, I, I, I came to a place the last couple of years where I could confidently say the 20 or 30 people that we really impacted, I could put them in a room with any person on the planet and know confidently that they would be able to express the kingdom and take people through the Bible start to finish, and they would know the gospel. Mm. You can't say that of a lot of Christians, Mm-mm. sadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he he did. I'm gonna. I'm never gonna take that away from him. He was amazing at it. He mm. was very motivated. He was a Type A personality, go getter, fighter, um, and he had a reason to fight. He had a lot of insecurities. He grew up fighting, literally fighting, hmm. uh, for a lot of reasons. I'm not here to tell his story, but um, he was a very aggressive human being, mm. and anybody that knew him knew that. Mm. And I moved into his house and that aggressiveness was there and he loved Jesus at that time. And I won't take that away from him even now. I think that there's gotta be some of that there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but some things I think when we talk about identity on the podcast here, you're going to hear me say it a lot. You have to know who you are in Jesus. Mm-hmm. You have to know him personally. It's not just a theological statement. It's not just a confession of belief. It's got to be in your heart. You got to know, know him. Uh, and I, I, I didn't really know him, and I'm not sure if this man, if he did know him initially. I think he lost track of him through a lot of bad, bad, bad scenarios, mm. and uh, that hurt him deeply. And exposed his insecurities and then he didn't know because they got exposed now he's he's reverting back to an old way of handling life and that impacted our group Mm. heavily uh first three years i when after i moved in got to a place very quickly where i was involved in leadership with the group we grew to about a hundred in colorado springs and um but there were always divisions there were things going on behind the scenes that were that were weird uh lots of accusations of control and manipulation i was new and i wasn't aggressive and i wasn't confrontational so i just kind of threw that stuff on the side well that's just people and i know why i'm here i'm here because this guy can teach the bible and i really like hearing i'm getting something i'm finally hearing things that really make sense and when I, when I came up and uh, got reconnected with my brother uh, two years ago, one of the things he was telling me, his story, and 
uh, he said something really powerful to me. He said, you know, there's gates of trust that we go through in our relationships. And when you open a small gate of trust to somebody, it prepares you to open the next gate of trust and the next one and the next one. And pretty soon, if this mm. person's a manipulator, you have gotten to a place where you can't question them anymore because you've already established that you mm. trust them. And that's what happened. Mm. I didn't listen to the voices who were telling me there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. And there were people telling me there's something wrong. My friends were telling me there's something wrong. Mm. Uh, my, my very, very close cousin, uh, one of my best friends in life, was concerned. His wife was concerned. Mm. Um, my what, family was concerned. What, what, did, what did they see that concerned them? I think the fact that there were three adult men living in this man's house, house with his sons mm. and the group tended towards kind of hero worship of him mm. worshiping the you know, man they're, they're, yeah and this is a very dangerous thing in christianity it, it's paul talks about it in the corinthians you know when he's saying i haven't baptized anybody and i don't i never baptize anybody you know you guys are so proud of the fact that you got baptized by this guy and mm. this this group over here mm -hmm. proud they got baptized by that guy and uh, god forbid that's mm -hmm. not why it's not about who baptized right. you. It's the right. one who made you alive and mm -hmm. died on the cross. That's right. who's the one. And it's a very prevalent problem in Christianity. And I didn't hear it's it's really crazy. I went into counseling when when our ministry finally broke up in twenty eighteen. And the first thing out of my counselor's mouth was, You're not alone, man. The the church is filled with cults of personality. Yeah. Like, it just gave me the thought, like, are churches trying to get members or win souls? Like, mm. yeah, 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 right. yeah, 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 yeah. And we could probably spend five, uh. ten different two-hour sessions on that topic. Yeah. But yeah, I, there are two churches. Yeah. One's trying to get members and one's trying to save souls. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, Ooh. very open. and So, it, I mean, it was really good to, to, to hear someone call it that. I still struggled to call what we were a cult. Mm -hmm. um, I know the man I was sitting under was accused of that on numerous occasions. And I was accused of being in one on numerous occasions. And I always had an explanation. Well, we don't have any of this problem. And we don't have any of that problem. And you know what? I was blind. Mm -hmm. Because we did have some of those problems mm -hmm. on some level. All the problems everybody says are in cults. We had those problems. What? They For were just on a smaller scale or more hidden. So what, when somebody's listening to you say that, what, what, what does, what stood out to you? Well, what's the, what's the big one that, what's maybe two or three things that when you hear the word cult, what do you think of? I Somebody, would say, go ahead. I would say worshiping a man, following a, a man and not God. Right. We had that. Right. And I'll, and we had it in this way. You had to, have you, have you talked to the pastor yet about your, what you're doing? Oh, have you have you gone and talked to him and gotten his counsel on what you're doing? Oh, we I mean, literally, and myself included, if if we didn't get his if he didn't approve of something that we were doing. Oh, my gosh, you're not being very spiritual, dude. That goes back to your childhood. Yes, right? it does. Yeah. yeah. And, and Wanting let me hear, let me, let me say this. Approval. Let me say this. A cult doesn't exist without people that want to be controlled. Mm. Oh, yeah. If yeah. uh, now I could be general, I could generalize that statement because I think 
there are cult leaders who are amazing at manipulation. Mm-hmm. You may go in not wanting to be controlled, mm-hmm. and you get controlled because mm-hmm. you don't understand manipulation. So there's a ni- per, there's a a portion of naivety that gets people in trouble. I think I had that, mm-hmm. but I think I had decided to give up my right to make my own decisions because I preferred being a peacekeeper. But it was a gradual. It wasn't like you're like today. I'm it took, giving up my rights. No, it was. It took like ten years like all to get things, there. It's a slow. It took well, ten and, years. And isn't there a certain amount of respect and trust you're supposed to put in your leadership, right? I don't know. This is a crazy. I'm glad you're asking that question because I don't I look, know now either. I listen, know. Listen, I think proper leaders right. work to make sure it doesn't happen. Right. I completely. <clears throat> if agree. you look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. He was very careful with those disciples not to invade their walk with his father. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's I, a great I point. always go back and look at Elijah and Elisha. When Elijah met Elisha the first time, God had said, go put your mantle on him. He's the next. Elijah goes and he puts the mantle on Elisha. And what's Elisha's first statement? He says, can I go back to my mom and dad? Please, Mr. Prophet, sir, <laughs> the amazing man in, in Israel, can, can I go back to my mom and dad and, and say goodbye and, and put my affairs in order? And what does Elijah say to him? What did I do to you? Do what you want. Hmm. Follow hmm. me. Don't follow me. I put my mantle on you because you're next. Hmm. You must have a relationship with God to figure that out on your own. So go do what you got to do. Hmm. And he took off walking. Now, that's how a leader should handle it. Mm. This is These people talk to, they were made to talk to God. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting in the way. I'm here to do my role. Yes. Isn't that the whole Catholic Catholic faith? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I think it's more than them. <laughs> I, I think there's a right. lot of faith. All over. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. It's all over. People don't know how to let other people live their life and make their choices. Because we we feel better when we can be the one giving the advice and oh man I had a I had a role in changing that person. Ooh. Well, but a lot of people I mean codependency is a real real thing. S- some people uh, so many people don't even realize, and so a lot of people want to be able to say, well, Pastor Scott told me to do it. He told me that you that we should get a divorce. He told me that you're an idiot for the way you're treating me. Like they want to be able to stand behind somebody, mm-hmm. and I do think your brother's done a beautiful job of that. He will give you the godly counsel, but he always pushes you towards mm-hmm. Jesus first and foremost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. takes work. Yes. But here's the problem that I see is I've never seen more insecurity than in one single group of people. And that is pastors. Mm. Mm. Pastors are, can be very, very insecure people. And the only way that they that that insecurity can be controlled is through manipulation. Hmm. And I've seen a lot of it, hmm. not just from this man. I, I, this man was very in his younger day. He loved to evangelize. He'd get out on the streets and evangelize every day of the week. Hmm. He would go out before you knew him or in the early before days. I knew him. And hmm. in the days that I knew him in the hmm. early days, we go out to the parks and evangelize. So know? I have a feeling you're saying he did that. And then everything kind of slowly changed, right? Yeah. Over time, it slowly yeah. changed mm-hmm. because he would, 
one of the things he always worked for, and this is where one of his big first hurts came, is he worked to try and bring all the Messianic Hebraic roots communities together in this in the Colorado Springs region. Mm. That explains a lot of your love for Judaism and mm-hmm. yeah, 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 absolutely. I, yeah, I, I haven't lost any of that. No, I, that but that explains a lot of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's cool. We tried. We got everybody together, and it just flared up into this big explosion, and people couldn't agree, and that hurt him really bad. And he, mm. but he never lost it. We we uh, in nineteen nine two thousand. Well, about 2000, I think, he he was a very overweight man. Mm. He he ate a lot, and that's how it was one of his ways of coping with his mm. insecurities. And, and his health became really, really poor. He got diabetes from it, and then the doctors were noticing heart problems and said, you got to get out of Colorado or you're going to die. Mm. And so he finally decided he was going to move. What? Yeah. Why? What about Colorado? I don't understand. Elevation. <laughs> Oh, for real? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, you don't, you, your heart has to work a lot harder in the elevation. Wow. So, so, so in order to live a lazier life, he was, he could move. Well, in order to stay alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in order to stay alive, he had to move. Oh, okay. So, now I think it was 2000, he came to me, one of only a few people out of our hundred at that time, and he said, I'm going to be moving and I'd like you to move with me. Mm. Mm. Now, okay. Um, I wasn't necessarily ready for that, but he gave me a, a, you know, a good year and a half to think about it before he was going to move. It's probably not going to be for a year and a half or so. So don't worry about it. Uh, just think about it, pray about it, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and where at this point were you with your relationship with your family? I know you expressed that, you know, everybody was concerned because it seemed cult-like. Like, at we what were, point we were, were having, you like... We were having problems. So you were... Was there a point where he was the one that told you you can't yes. have relationship oh, with yeah. him? Oh, that, yeah. That, okay. that was a definite track inside of uh, his relationships with people when they became part of... And it so wasn't that's even, very cultish too. Yeah, that, that is to go after family is is very cultish. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and and I've I've heard lots of Christians beyond him use this passage in the Bible, and they lift it, and he lifted it out of context. Oh, I know, I know, I exactly know what's what coming. Say. say it, do and, it, and it's been used. Which in verse my am I? Which which verse? We're going to talk about leaving. Um, Mother and father yeah. and sister and brother. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Your yeah. enemies of your own household. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That is a prophetic utterance from Jesus for the time of 70 AD that was getting ready to happen to them. It has nothing to do with anything else. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and people don't want to give him that context. There is a principle inside that, but to just arbitrarily throw it out at every single family that doesn't measure up to your definition of spirituality right. is complete sin. Mm-hmm. And it destroys people. Mm. Yeah, how can that be good? Right. It, it doesn't help anything. It right. doesn't help anybody. Right. And at that time, I'm more than willing to be manipulated, more than willing to be controlled, more than willing to not fight against anything. And the man was planting seeds, and I watched him do it with lots of people. It was a continual habit of investing that kind of, sowing that kind of seed of discord with families. Mm. Families are carnal. Families mm. don't know you. They don't know who you are in Jesus, and they're never going to support that. 
And so you need to not give them that kind of time. You are spiritual. You need to be spiritual. You need to walk with the spirit and your family is mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. keep you from that. Yeah. So, you know, you hear it and you hear it and you hear it. And it was, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. And I know my parents would probably say the exact same thing it was terrible because and it wasn't that they were hearing me say to them those things yet. Mm-hmm. But my choices mm-hmm. were keeping me away from things that were very important to the family. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't learned yet that it doesn't matter. Mm. Uh, you know, the things that we were focused on as a Jewish messianic Hebraic community is, hey, the church is wrong because they celebrate Christmas and Easter. And don't you know, these are pagan. And, mm-hmm. and you know, mm. yes, they are. They come from pagan traditions and Roman Catholicism and all the holidays are variants and, con- you know, converted realities of what used to be within the Jewish community. This is all true, Mm. but there's a bigger principle. And that is we sit together in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to win anybody to the real gospel of the the things that I'm learning. If I call them all carnal, non-spiritual Jesus haters, because they don't know this truth. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't really put all that together until the last five years. Mm-hmm. And so I was, uh, uh, you know, initially it was just, I'm not, I'm not going to be there. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be there. Sorry. I'm not going to be there. But th- I think they understood that what I was really saying was you're not spiritual enough. And now mm-hmm. I'm super spiritual and I know all the truth and you don't. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the background. Mm-hmm. So do we want to continue next week? We have, you have four. I out. think that's good. I think that's good. Cause the, the next part of the story is... I, I figured that there's a couple really good cliffhangers here. Yeah. And I figured now you're going to dig into the next, the last yeah, 15 years. Yeah, it gets years, complex right? at this point. Yeah. So, I don't know how much detail I need to share, but I, I need to think about it. Yeah. So... This is Recreated. Thank you for listening. We do stories. Stories about all of us. Stories about our walk. Stories about how we meet Jesus and how we learn to let him be our shepherd. We have more podcasts coming. If you would like to stay in the know about what we're doing in the coming weeks and what we've already published, you can go to our website at www.recreated.life. It's www.recreated.life. There's more information about us, the hosts. Of course, our list of podcasts, uh, both past and present, and what we plan to do in the future. We also have a way to contact us if you have questions, thoughts, comments, or want to talk to somebody about something you're hearing on one of the shows. That's all we have for today. Until next time, we hope that you continue and stay faithful and never give up in the walk of life.